Welcome to Sportsbeat KC, the Kansas City Star Sports Podcast. It's Tuesday, July 5th, and I'm Blair Kirkhoff. I hope everybody had a fun and safe 4th of July. We're talking Royals today. Did you know they would be one of baseball's hottest teams if they hadn't surrendered walk-off home runs in two of the past three games? Close out those games and the Royals would be riding a five-game winning streak. We talk about that and more on today's show that started as a Sports Beat Live hosted by Vahe Gregorian. Also, as the season is approaching the halfway point, how much will the Royals be dealers? We often talk about trading players, but it's getting closer to that time. Okay, let's get started talking Royals. Good morning, everyone. Hope uh, you enjoy our intro music as much as I do every time we hear it. Uh, Thanks, uh, before we get started, to the University of Kansas Health System for sponsoring us. And welcome to Lynn Worthy and Sam McDowell from uh, their outposts in Houston and Lee's Summit. And this is Vahe Gregorian uh, hosting for Blair Kirkhoff, who is, um, I don't want to say on vacation. He's, hes I guess we'll call it on assignment. He's, he's not here today, um, but he still has his... Uh, uh, long arm of influence on on what we're going to talk about today. His suggested topics as we got started included the fact that the Royals should be on a five-game winning streak, uh, which got me thinking, I think you guys are both Seinfeld conversant uh, about the whole concept of anyone can take a lead. It's holding the lead, holding the reservation that uh, is the problem with a couple of these losses in the last three games. And let's. Why don't we start there, uh, Lynn? Uh, you've you've been uh, in in the in the seat on duty for a couple of these games. Uh, you know, it's a nice little trend overall for the Royals, but it's been marked by these two two uh, sort of fiasco like losses in the last three games. Yeah, I guess. Um... I would amend should be on a five game win streak to could because there's, there's no guarantees um, when it comes to some of those spots there. I mean, I guess um, the, the one in um, uh, where was I just recently Detroit uh, <laughs> that I'm already forgetting where, which city was, which, but that one, I would say because they had that lead going into the ninth inning, it's probably more of a should than a could, but yesterday, once that thing got to even, all bets are off, especially in light of the, the previous one. Um, and then with, you know, Alvarez hitting the way he's hitting, I mean, that guy, there's no way you feel good. I don't care who you got on the mound. There's no way you feel good with him coming to the plate with a chance to do damage or, you know, change a game late. So, um, but yes, they definitely have, you know, played better. They, you know, their games that they could have won. Uh, obviously they still have won, um, you know, um, those two games uh, in between are sandwiched around the two walk-off losses. So, um, but yeah, I, it just makes it tough. I think because you play well, you're in position to win and then lose it late. Um, so in some ways it's tougher than if you just came out and, you know, uh, laid an egg from the start. You know, Sam, this reminds me a little bit of we were in conversation, I think, after that uh, six nothing loss, a six nothing lead was blown, you know, a couple months, well, a couple weeks ago, really. And one of the thoughts I remember us both having, or I think you sort of led the thought was it was a bad day. It was a bad loss. But part of the takeaway that day is 
it needs to be the bigger picture. That was, a, I believe, a Brady Singer, a fine Brady Singer start. And that's sort of what we have bubbling up right now, don't we? Un underneath a couple of these real ups and downs, we do have some important developmental things seeming to start to take um, focus for now on the starting pitching. Is that a reasonable premise to uh, to put out there? Yeah, I mean, when the, when the team's 20, 20 games under 500, I, I am more looking for signs of the future. And, um, I mean, Jonathan Heasley had a really good bounce-back start, which, which Len mentioned in his game story today. But um, I was really interested to see how he did bounce back. He had a really rough outing against Texas um, at Kauffman Stadium his previous time out. And he came out, I think it was what, Len, he got the first 11 outs of that game yesterday maybe or – that sounds right. Um, he, he didn't really run into any sort of traffic until I think it was the fourth inning. But the issue with the Royals game yesterday was how many different ways they found to lose that game. Um, I mean, it's not just that they had a 5 nothing lead. Uh, you know, Heasley's air caught pickoff play, which there was no reason to even attempt to pick off in that. I mean, the guy had a, a, a three-step lead. Um, that cost them a run. They, they, again, have a base running miscue. Uh, you know, everybody in the bullpen basically faltered, it seemed like. And, you know, it, I guess maybe this is indicative of where the Royals are right now, but Vinny Pascantino, when the Royals are already up 5 nothing, hits a ball to the warning track with two guys on base and two outs, um, right right to the, the wall and right center, that, that, you know, if the ball's gone, it's 8 nothing, And suddenly you feel pretty decent, even for the Royals. But at that time, at 5 nothing, I thought, man, I wonder if that's going to come back to get them. And they still had a five-run a five run lead. Well, I, I tell you what, that, that speaks to something I was thinking of. I, I was in between a few things yesterday and uh, turned the radio on, and uh, it was 5 nothing Royals. And I remember thinking, I don't know. <laughs> that's my first thought. Like, I, don't, I don't know if this, what this is going to mean. Meanwhile, the flip side of that is, if they're down three runs, it's over. And this this is, you know, the crux of the problem for this team, finding ways to lose quite often and not not able to manufacture enough enough ways to win. Um, within that, you know, we got talking about the pitching a little bit. And I, and I, I do wonder if, if it, each of you guys would elaborate on how you see what you see evolving overall in the starting pitching right now, then we can come back and talk a little bit about uh, what we see in the young hitters as, as we hope that takes root. Well, Jonathan Heasley, I think is, you know, almost under the radar in a way becoming one of their more consistent guys. I mean, I think his quality starts now are, uh, I think he's got just as many as like, you know, a handful of other guys combined, and that's like Lubitsch, Singer, Hernandez. I mean, like he's he's one of those guys that at least you know is going to give you, um, you know, a decent outing most times out. And while that doesn't sound like you know, I mean, obviously I'm not you know claiming he's a Cy Young type guy or anything like that. I mean, but like for this pitching staff right now, that just consistency from these guys who still haven't pitched full seasons in the major leagues who, you know, Heasley had his first couple of starts at the end of last season. And that's his, the entirety of his big league experience before this year, um, who wasn't in the rotation to start this year. I mean, those things are significant when you start talking about looking forward. 
is guys who you know can be consistent, guys who can come out and you have an idea of what you're going to get from them on a regular basis when they take the ball. Um, so I think that in itself is a is a big thing. I mean, the last couple of starts, guys didn't get to five innings. Um, Singer, I still feel like, has been more consistent um, since he returned to the rotation. I think he's shown that he's a guy that you have a fairly good idea of what you're going to get from him when you hand him the ball. Um, again, since he's come back again, and that's even with that inning, uh, that day, the other, uh, the outing the other day where he only got four and two thirds. Um, I think you're starting to see at least some signs of consistency from some of these starters. And I think that's a big deal as far as just going forward, because they, they haven't had a lot, a lot of track record and they haven't had a lot of experience. So, um, consistency has to be one of the first steps for them. Sam, are you having any of the same feelings and, and one way or another, how do you think this tracks is kind of, for lack of a better term, the drama of the, of the rest of the season in, in, uh, evaluating this part of the game? Yeah. Um, I, I do agree with Glenn. Uh, first of all, it's not just when they get down three runs, you know, the Royals have not won a game where they've been trailing by even one run after the first inning. Um, I think they're the only team in baseball that has yet to erase a first inning deficit. Um, but yeah, I mean, to me, it's all about how you develop the rest of the starting pitching. I mean, that's that's why we talk about their pitching development as a whole so much this year. I mean, they drafted those five guys in the same draft. And I feel like if you can make two right now, you know, they're trying to make three or four of them part of their, their rotation. Now. I mean, if you can get two rotation guys out of a draft, that's a really good draft. The question is, where do they slide into the rotation? And I do think because of the consistency that Len mentioned with Jonathan Heasley, that he projects as like a four or five starter he's a guy that you know hopefully isn't going to get get you into like crazy trouble and back-to-back outings I, I just think that he throws enough strikes and I know his first three starts notwithstanding um to where he's he's going to to keep you in games more often than not um you know what well, I, I don't think Daniel Lynch is going to be out too long I think we'll see him again soon um and Brady Singer is is the other guy that that Lynn, Lynn mentioned that I still feel like if, if, if there's a guy that is throwing right now, you know, Lynch notwithstanding, because he's not, um, that can be, you know, more of like a two or three starter should be Brady Singer. You know, his fastball's got enough life, and he's got that just that wipeout slider. And if he is developing the changeup, we've seen him throw it a little bit more at least. Um, I just feel like he's the guy that has the stuff that can at least be in there. So. You know, everybody's development matters, but certainly this pitching staff and the starting rotation more so than anybody um, for the rest of this year. Well, as, as we think about the development that matters most, um, I know we're we're all watching uh, with, with great anticipation to see what continues to happen with Bobby Witt Jr. and MJ Melendez and, and now Vinny Pasquantino in particular. There's other young players we can talk about too, but um, I think in general we might – um, want to expect that these guys are supposed to be the pillars of what the Royals hope to be the real reboot coming in the years, year or so ahead. Um, when we spoke last week, Vinny had joined the team, but hadn't taken his first at bats. And uh, he's, he's had about a week of seasoning now and, and probably the most uh, interesting moment I think came Friday night in Detroit. Uh, I really enjoyed how you chronicled that Lynn. Uh, if you don't mind, take, take us through, uh, his first home run and what was so unusual about it. And then we can get into a little bit of what, what we think he's looking to be so far. 
Well, well, first, first of all, hey, we need to recognize that Lynn conveniently took his like first series off of the season. And all, <laughs> all hell broke loose last week, uh, and so he timed that one perfectly. No, no well, names, but but people in the press box always seem to think that that Lynn, uh, Lynn just happens to finally take a day off a year when when twenty seven things happen. But I, I think that makes those days off more worthwhile. Well, you know what it is, is it's it's making sure that I hand it off to somebody and I don't give them like, you know, one of those situations where they have to drum something up. I'm giving them I'm giving them <laughs> stuff that's just right there for them. I mean, you got a you got a Carlos Santana trade, you got, you know, um injury update with Salvador Perez, you got Vinny Pasquantino coming out. I mean, that's I mean, you don't have to come in and saying, Oh, what am I gonna write about it? I'm handing it to you right there. I mean you know, I'm giving, making it easy on him. Making it easy. That's, on that's what a, a true point guard and team player does. So I'm glad Sam brought that up. Um, uh, but let's circle back to the original question. Uh, Vinny Pasquantino's first home run—that uh, might be a little launch pad of its own for us to talk about him. Get, get, can you describe what was going on in the press box as you saw that happen, Lynn? And uh, tell our audience—some may not know about what happened, but uh, just how unusual that home run was. Yeah, it was actually the the hardest hit um, home run of the season for the Royals. I think it was, if I remember correctly, 112.7 miles per hour off the bat exit velo, uh, and it was a line drive. And the the what caused the issue or the um, confusion, I should say, was um, in Detroit. It's a line drive, and it hits above the yellow line, which makes it a home run. That's out of the ballpark. But there's a railing that's just above the wall. Um, I, I guess the railing is was doing its job because the ball coming that fast, you know, hit that railing as opposed to going into the front row. Cause I wouldn't have wanted to be that person sitting in that, that first row of the bleachers who's not paying attention when that thing was coming at me. Um, but anyways, it hit that railing and falls back onto the field. And because it was going so fast and everything happened so fast, it comes back onto the field, right field, it throws it in. And so there's that moment of confusion is like, wait a minute, did that go out? Did that not go out? Vinny, doesn't see it off the bat because as he told me afterward, he said, well, really, I had my head down and I was running. He's like, I didn't want to, he said, you know, he prefaces it like, I don't want to sound like, you know, Mr. Hardcore Baseball that I was, you know, was running hard. He's like, but I, I literally had my head down and was running. So he picks up the first base coach, Damon Hollins, he tells him run, run, run. He runs. Um, the ball's coming in and uh, Javi Baez, the shortstop, was there waiting for the throw and uh, Vinny sort of thought maybe that it got out. He wasn't really sure, but he saw Harvey and was just like, Harvey's going to try and deke me into, you know, slowing up so that he can tag me. So he slides into second base on his first career home run, gets tagged and actually was called out by the second base umpire um, sliding into second base on his first career home run. First career hit too. I think he's the first Royals player since Ryan O'Hearn for his first hit to be a home run. But yeah, so he hits a line drive. For a home run, wasn't sure it was a home run. Actually got tagged out sliding into second base by Javi Baez and um, gets a home run out of it. And he actually had a really good perspective on it. It was funny because uh, after the game, we're asking Mike Matheny about it. And he said, you know, he was actually saying, oh, I kind of took away a little bit from it. that He didn't get to jog around the bases with his first home run. Vinny had almost the flip side of that saying like, well, no, that's so that's about how how it probably would go. He referenced the spring training home run, but wasn't really sure that that one went out. And he mentioned, um, you know, now he'll be telling that story to his grandkids one day that he, his first major league hit, his first major league home run, he ended up getting tagged out at second base by Javi Baez. 
And he even said he was going to try and send the jersey over to Howery and hope that he signed it for him. It, it, it was really just just great to picture that last part of the home run trot uh, after being tagged out. Sam, you uh, you did a great piece on uh, sort of the roots of Vinny and, and how he how he came to be here. I, I'd urge our audience to make sure they check that out um, if they haven't seen it already. How have you seen what, what you learned about him through the process of, of that um, that exploration of him, basically? What, what do you think that says about what we can expect of his maturation process and, and how are you seeing him play out so far? I think that, you know, what we've learned so far is mostly that the scouting report we had heard has, has been pretty on point. Uh, and that go, does include his speed. I mean, Lynn, Lynn mentioned that he gets tagged out a second. I mean, if that ball had not gotten out, that is not a ball. He, sh- he should be, you know, bumbling into to second just to try and reach. Uh, the funny, the other funny element of this, and, and Lynn mentioned in his story is that, uh, uh, after Bias tags him, he's given the signal like, no, that's a home run. As the umpire calls him out, the opposing player is like, no, that's a home run. Um, but, uh, you know, Benny's only got three hits uh, so far, but he's walked, I think, six times. So his on-base percentage is still over 400. And that's what I say when I mean the scouting uh, report has been been on point with him is that he doesn't waste at-bats. You know, I mean, he tries to wait until he gets a pitch that he actually wants to swing at. And, you know, I think that there's been some people that have been anxious to see how that would play in the major leagues because you can't be too patient in the major leagues because a lot of times you're lucky to get one pitch to hit in a, a, over the course of a plate appearance. So you got to swing early if you get it. We saw Vinny on the first couple of nights do that. He would swing at first pitch. And so I think that was drilled into him that. We, we love you to be patient. You got to continue to not swing at bad pitches. But if you get one you like, whether it's the first pitch or not, you got to you got to take a hack. And so I do think we're going to see him work through that maturation process here in the, in the big leagues. But he's not swinging at a ton of bad pitches and getting himself out. And I do think that's that's a quality that that sh- should play for a while in the major leagues. And it's um, also just uh, excuse me, Brian. I was going to no, add go to that that. Um, it was funny is that day that he hit the first home run, he started, he batted in a, in a cleanup spot for the first time. And so before the game, asking uh, Mike Matheny about, you know, young guy putting them in the cleanup spot, do you, you know, have to have any sort of concern or conversation about him staying within his approach or, you know, not trying to do too much because he's in that spot that's, you know, considered, okay, you're going to be the guy who's supposed to be the run producer. Um and then I also just followed up with saying, well, you know, he's also been one of those guys like MJ where he's been taking walks. So, you know, he's got some patience there. And the thing that Mike Matheny said, and this is before the game, was he says, yeah, we, we like that patient, patient approach. But he said we also want him to be aggressive at pitches that he can do damage with. Um, and it was just funny that I looked to, I think it was Joel Goldberg was next to me in the press box when he hit that home run or after he hit that home run and said to him, I said, do you remember what Matheny said before the game about him, you know, being aggressive on pitches he can do damage with? And I was like, they tried to sneak a first pitch fastball, but that's the hardest hit home run of the season. So it was just funny to see, you know, like Sam was talking about some of that play out because obviously he's been patient. He's taking his walks, but there also is that element of you just think you're going to groove something to him because he's just up there taking pitches, and that's that's not going to be the case either. Uh, 
lost within that in, in my mind was that I think he had a uh, an at-bat where he walked in one of those first two games. I think he just took six straight pitches on that at-bat. It's kind of just interesting within within the, the subset of all this. Uh, let's take a little break now and hear from University of Kansas Health System. March 4th, 2015, I got out of the shower and felt a lump in my left breast. We were able to quickly uncover that she had two subtypes of breast cancer, each of them requiring separate and unique treatment plans. This is why you come to the University of Kansas Cancer Center. It is critical to be treated by a team of experts in that specific cancer type. If you don't start with us, I think you'll have more questions than answers. Why would you go anywhere else? Hey, this is Blair. There are several ways to access the Star Sports section. Let me tell you about a couple of them. There is Sports Pass. For $12.99 a month, you get unlimited digital access to all of the Star Sports content, including beat writing, columns, features, pretty much everything we write. The deal renews monthly until you tell us to cancel. For $159.99 a year, you get everything the Star has to offer digitally, including sports and the e-edition. Go to KansasCity.com and drop down to the bottom of the page where it says start a subscription for more information. Your support has never been more important. As always, thanks for reading and listening. You know, we've gotten ourselves talking a little bit about uh, Vinny Pasquantino's week. Um, I think it's always probably worth us checking in on Bobby Witt Jr. and MJ Melendez in particular and at MJ's had some nice moments after some some rough moments. I, I wonder, Lynn, how you how you see his state of mind and and um, how how the arc of his season you think is is playing out. Well, I think maybe one of the um, better things. <laughs> I, I see my my commentary was not appreciated right there. Um, Anyway, I think I think one of the one of the things that um, probably helps him is that he's getting those everyday at bats. I mean, I know they wanted to keep him in there even before Salvi was hurt, get him, you know, whether that's right field, DH, but now that he's in there on a regular basis, um, you know, getting everyday at bats, and that means even when things aren't going good, I mean, to a certain extent, that's the more important that you have to go through those um, struggles so that you know you can deal with those and come out the other side or just to know how to deal with those in the future. Um, and for MJ, you know, uh, I forget what the number was. I know I had it in the story this morning was um, it was like two for his last, I think almost 30 or something like that. Um, recently before, you know, last night when he hits two home runs um, and he said afterwards that, you know, he was really, he was probably pressing a little bit, probably trying to do too much. And then once he got into a little bit of a slump, it sort of, you know, snowballed where he goes up there trying to do too much because he's in a slump. And I think he, the term he used was trying to get all the hits back at you know, on each time at the plate, which, you know, just isn't possible. Um, but again, working with, you know, the coaching staff and, and sort of taking a step back and, you know, and I think to a certain extent, um, some of the struggles he had, especially in was that 19, 2019 in the minors has probably helped him be able to deal with some of those things. Um, but again, you can't do anything. I mean, you can't really deal with it until you're in the big leagues doing it on a daily basis. Um, but the, also, I don't think you've seen it affect his, uh, his defense, which is a big thing is with a young guy, especially at that position catcher, if you're letting whatever struggles at the plate carry over and it's affecting you behind the plate, 
that's a no go. You can't have it. You can't, it can't happen. Um, you got to be there for your pitchers. You got to be there defensively. You got to be blocking balls. You got to be, you know, going through scout reports. You got to be handling your business on that side. And I don't think there's been any indication that um, any of that slumping has um, affected what he's doing behind the plate. Sam, you know, when it, when it comes to the Bobby Witt Jr. aspect of this, I, I think we've all been having uh, chances to discuss this all along, how it's one thing to do it, it, it whatever you're doing at double A AA or triple A, but the, the whole development coming at this level is obviously what's so crucial to the future. Bobby's had, you know, a pretty, pretty darn good season, but there's also ups and downs within that. How, how much do you think this year, will mean to his 2023 and 2024? A lot. Um, I mean, you know, first of all, I, I think for a rookie, the guy's having a really good year. And we've seen over the past two weeks or so why he's the future at shortstop. You know, they opened him up at, at third base to begin the season, and he's played a, a fantastic shortstop over the past couple of weeks. So I think he's grown into that position I also think you have to take in mind that he's going into that position as he's trying to figure things out at the plate. Um, one of the things I think will improve as time goes on is his pitch selection. I think that's one of the things getting him in the most trouble. Um, he, he swings at a lot of low and outside breaking stuff. Um, and unfortunately, he makes contact with a lot of low and outside breaking stuff out of the zone when he chases. So um, that combination leads to weak contact. But you know, I'm, we've seen his power. We've seen his speed on the bases, um, both, uh, you know, stealing bases and, you know, taking extra bases. I, I think the guy still has a really bright future. Uh, the Royals probably could not have expected more out of, you know, a 21, now 22-year-old kid in his first year. Um, but when we talk about both those guys together as a package with MJ Melendez and Bobby Wood Jr., that was always sort of the argument for why, you bring up Vinny Pasquantino sooner rather than later because they're going to struggle. Um, but, you know, I mean, we just mentioned it. MJ Melendez hit two home runs yesterday. You know, they come through those struggles too. And I think that, you know, there's nothing that can mimic those sort of growing pains better than actually just experiencing them for yourself and then figuring out how to come through it on the other side. And it does, it does make me wonder what the plan is for, you know, some of the other prospects in the minor leagues, you know, it's, it's probably no secret to, to some of our viewers. I mean, that you got some guys tearing it up in Omaha right now. Uh, they, they scored 20 runs. I think they hit nine home runs last night. Um, you know, minor leagues usually don't play on Monday. I guess since it was July 4th, they decided to, and Omaha probably wants to play every Monday now. Um, but Prado hit one. Uh, Michael Massey has been incredible since he got promoted from double A to triple A, said number 300. Nate Eaton is the same way. Got promoted from double A to triple A. Hit, hit one. I think it at least one, maybe two, two of the nine last night, um, it, him and Massey have over 1000 OPS. And so just the reason I bring that up is because we talk about guys struggling, um, and coming through it. And I, I wonder if there's a different plan than maybe the Royals enter the season with, with some of their minor leaguers, um, to see them potentially go through the same struggles. And, you know, maybe those guys are ready, more ready for 2023 and 2024. I, I think that's a great point, Sam. And I, I, I think just, just using the word growing pains, I, I think you can you can perceive this season a little differently or frame it a little differently if you feel like at, at some level 10, 12, 14 guys are here getting developed and having the growing pains, or even six, seven, eight, nine, like it is now. But I but I think 
it it's a worthwhile question for the Royals over the next couple months, how much to go ahead and put them in the water basically and, and make those moves. Part of that is going to be what they do to move some veterans and, you know, nobody's hotter or at least made himself more appealing in that category than Andrew Benintendi. I, I wonder, uh, Lynn, how you see Andrew's value going up and how much, uh, of an irresistible force he might be becoming on the trade market for the Royals to deploy. I think it's, it's, I mean, and I'm, this is just my sort of educated guess is it's probably going to be one of those ones that's closer to the deadline, just because I feel like they're going to want to, you know, get the most that they can for him. And as teams get closer to that point that they have to do something you know, where it's like you got that, that when you have that deadline and, and, you, and they'll try and piece things together until they can't any longer, um, then maybe that's when you get the most out of them by, you know, taking it right down to the, to the um, you know, the day, because, you know, right now they might be sort of posturing and saying, well, we've got this guy to re-like and we've got this option and they might be looking at other guys on the market and who might be out there. Um, but when it comes down to, you know, that day and it's, you know, other guys have been moved or, you know, it, it's, it's either you take try and make the deal now or you don't make the deal, then maybe that's when something finally happens. But I feel like it's got to happen. I mean, I ever since, you know, spring training when, you know, a couple of us had asked him about, you know, potentially discussions on the long-term extension. And he, as far as he knew, he said, yeah, that hasn't happened. So when, when they hadn't talked extension, he was going into free agency. Um, it seemed like the writing was on the wall. And also I think the other thing is, you know, as you alluded to, if if he gets moved, it gets it opens up spots for some of these other guys because that's I think also part of the equation with you know okay you want to bring up some guys and maybe take a look at them it's like well you got to have playing time for him and so if Andrew Benintendi's taking up playing time in the outfield that means maybe Edward Olivares is in the outfield that means maybe you know when Salvi comes back that's that's one fewer spots that you could put MJ out in the outfield. Um, you know, Kyle Isbell right now is still, you know, like that playing time with him is, uh, is is getting a little bit more now. But I mean, so there's two, there's a lot of guys that you, in theory, want to get some playing time for. But with with these other guys there, there's not there's not that many spaces. And then if you're going to bring up more guys, then again, you just don't have the playing time for them, at least not regularly, as opposed to if you leave them down in AAA and they and they are playing. Um, but Benny, I think because he's hitting, you know, over 300, um, not a whole lot of power, but also some of that is probably Kauffman Stadium. Some of that is in going back to more of a line drive approach, but he gets on base regularly. Um, he hits regularly. Um, he hits, you know, consistently with, you know, with guys in, you know, if you put guys in scoring position, he's going to hit. Um, and then he's playing gold glove defense, you know. So um, I don't see any way that he's not getting moved. Um actually talked to him the other day, the story that we posted yesterday about just, I mean, I think he, he didn't come out and say it, but I think he all but expects that he's going to get moved. He's already talked to JJ about that possibility and basically just said that they're going to keep him in the loop. And so, I mean, I think that's almost a foregone conclusion. It's just a matter of how soon. And I would expect it's probably closer to the deadline when they can exact the, the biggest price and put the most pressure on whoever it is that's looking for him. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. Go ahead, Sam. Well, what's interesting about this year's trade deadline is <clears throat> there's not a ton of big bats available. Um, you know, a lot of years you've got looming free agents. I mean, last year we saw Chris Bryant traded. There's not like a, a ton of big names. Um, Wilson Contreras is out there, but he's a catcher. You know, only plays one position. Um, so 
I think there's some things that could work in the Royals' favor to where they need to expand their thinking beyond Andrew Benintendi because he's the obvious guy. And they need to think who else, you know, might draw some interest for us. And that question's going to come down to when exactly do they think they're going to be competitive? And also, how comfortable are they with getting worse this year? And we've talked about the, the second one quite a bit already. Um, but, you know, they've got some other guys in their team that I think would be attractive, even if not at the same level that Andrew Benatendi. We've, we've talked about Whit Merrifield for a long time now. Um, but, you know, I mean, would Hunter, Hunter Dozier draw some interest? He, he doesn't make a significant amount of money. Um, what kind of interest would Michael Taylor have? He's only under contract through next year. And then you look at the relievers as well. Um, so I, I think that the Royals could take advantage of a, of a weaker um, market out there for, for buyers. And suddenly, you know, the sellers could have some of more leverage that, <clears throat> than what they usually have. I mean, <clears throat> with Ben Attenney, it's just going to come down to what's their best offer. I mean, they're, they're going to trade him. They can't afford to keep him through the year. It's just going to be, well, we're waiting, guys. Everybody knows he's available. Tell me what your best offer is. And they just, they just pick that one. But I do agree with Lynn. It's, it's going to make more sense to wait to, to the teams get more desperate when the trade deadline is nearing. Yeah, and that, that, that question, you know, that you pose about how much, how comfortable they are with getting worse this year, um, I don't have an answer for that, but uh, it's one of those things that, you know, just sort of in the press box we've kicked around because, you know, I've, I know I said it even, you know, yesterday and probably over this weekend a couple of times, I was like, you know, selfishly, um, just thinking about the, you know, the, the rest of the season, I was like, cause there's relief guys, you know, like Scott Barlow. I mean, yesterday, yesterday aside, you know, I mean, cause relievers are going to give up, I mean, relievers going to give up solo home run, but just, you know, it was the situation made that one bigger than, um, you know, because it was a walk-off, but, um, but yeah, just thinking like, again, selfishly about what that last uh, two months might be. If you think about that bullpen and you take out their best reliever, like that could be a, uh, a long couple of couple of months um, just for those folks who are watching on a daily basis. But but you I would I couldn't blame them for making that move. If, if you you know, whether that's um, trading him straight up for something or if that's him as a package with the Benintendi or somebody else. I mean, there's a case to be made that, that you know, they'd be um, doing themselves a disservice by not doing that. So um, if there's something to be you know gained from that, especially if there's somebody that uh, that they've got their eye on, they feel like could help them sooner than later. I think that's going to be the thing is making a deal that's going to give you some not necessarily guys who are four years away. I think if there's some some guys that are you know close to being able to help you, um, I think they definitely are going to be looking for more of that as opposed to the young guys. I think especially with the changes in the minor leagues, they feel like they've got a flood of young guys it's more getting guys that are going to be able to help them sooner especially with the guys that they've got at the major leagues that are young and you know you want to be adding to that not adding to four years down the line you want to be building for the next couple of years not for you know 10 years well listen that's great stuff from lynn worthy and sam mcdowell and we could go on but we also want to leave you wanting more so we'll uh we'll we'll Say goodbye. We'll thank uh, the University of Kansas Health System again. Thank you to Monty Davis for producing. Thank you to uh, Blair Kirkhoff for the invisible hand on uh, putting this together. And thanks again to Lynn and Sam. Uh, we'll look forward to talking to you guys next week. And uh, everybody have a, have a great week. That'll do it for today. Thanks to our Sportsbeat KC production team of Monty Davis, Randy Mason, Jeff Rosen, and Chris Fickett. 
Tip of the ball cap to Vahe Gregorian, Sam McDowell, and Lynn Worthy for sharing their insights. Morning Sports Edition was full of baseball, soccer, auto racing, Wimbledon coverage, and more. Check it out at liveedition.kansascity.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back soon with another Sportsbeat KC.